0: Speaking of Easter is uh, Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday. That's a you know it's kind of that's what it's known as worldwide historically. Christians celebrate today. Of course, that is in reference to the uh, oh look I got a little clicker now. This is kind of cool. A little uh, the palm branches that the people waved, the the uh, crowds waved before Jesus as he's riding into Jerusalem. So we call this Palm Sunday. It's the first day. Uh, it's It's not only you know an exciting day in terms of that sort of uh, experience of coming into Jerusalem, uh, but it's the first day of the last week of Jesus' life. It's the beginning of uh, what we call Holy Week, or in some traditions, Passion Week. Uh, it includes Monday Thursday. Monday Thursday is not uh, you know, in the vineyard, we're not very liturgical, a term we use a lot, but that comes from the the Latin word, a mandatum or mandate, it's a mandate. This was the day that Jesus uh, shared a meal with his friends. But it's also the day that Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. Uh, he washed their feet and he he commanded them to love one another. And that's what Monday Thursday is about. The mandate is love one another. That's what happened that day. Uh, and of course he did also wash their feet on that day. Showing them uh, really how deeply he loved them. And what it really means to be a servant and to, and to really be a servant leader and to lead others through that. Um, Holy Week uh, kind of, you know, moves towards what happens on Friday. Uh, I, I always, it's weird to me, and, and I know Kevin shares this. Uh, we've done services here on that day before and he, he calls it Black Friday. It's always been odd to me that they call it Good Friday. I'm, I, I always feel like what was good. Uh, It was a bad day. It was a hard day. It was a day that Jesus was crucified and died. Um, Jesus lived, his entire life was a life of love. His entire life was a life of sacrifice. And on what we call Good Friday, that culminated. The ultimate expression of his love and the ultimate expression of sacrifice came as Jesus uh, laid his life down for his friends. And he died uh, willingly as a sacrificial lamb. For the forgiveness of sins of, of others including you and I so you know it was a dark day it was a dark day but we know of course that that's not the end of the story right uh, and next week we'll talk a little bit about this the the disciples the followers of Jesus his friends those people that had been influenced by him were confused and left in a little bit of a uh, funk after that day uh, everything that they had thought would happen didn't happen it didn't go the way that it was supposed to go uh, everything came to sort of a screeching halt for a couple days but then on Sunday morning of course the disciples went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away and it empty and uh, you know the cry of he is risen came out And so that's really how the, the story ends so I would just say this in terms of the resurrection of Christ in Jesus' death, we have forgiveness of sins, and then in his resurrection, we have new life. And those two things, I believe, are absolutely uh, connected and absolutely powerful in terms of who we are. What I want to talk about today and what really uh, I, I felt was uh, came through in our worship service earlier uh, is the forgiveness of sin and the new life we have in Christ. Can I just pray for a second and then we'll... That was just the intro. We'll talk about Palm Sunday. Lord, thanks for today again, and uh, I'm just reminded, uh, Palm Sunday, um, this week of your life, what it had to be like uh, for you. I ask that that truth and that reality would uh, touch our hearts today, that we would be reminded once again the sacrifice you made for us, of who you are, of what you're about, what you're for. Let your Holy Spirit touch our hearts and fill us today with your presence, Lord. Amen. So on Palm Sunday, uh, a series of events was set in motion that would be very, very uh, emotionally draining, very, very overwhelming, I, I think, for anybody Uh, Really hard to imagine, and I think they were for Jesus as well. Uh, And I think there was a reason for that. Um, I want to just look at uh, a couple of verses in in Hebrews really quick. It says, Therefore, since we have a, a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Over the course of our lives, we will go through all sorts of things. And, and really, I mean, I, some of the kids, you guys were in California last week, rolled roller coasters. I saw pictures of them, and uh, life is a roller coaster. It's up and down, and it flips around sometimes. And, and uh, uh, you know, we go through really good times, and sometimes it seems like the really good times, the high times, come crashing really fast, and they are followed by a bad time there there are uh trials, but there are also temptations in our lives there are those things that uh, I believe the the world has inherent in it, but then also the enemy throws them out there uh, before us to try to draw us away from god and and we all have different temptations there's all kinds of things you know what they are that, that you you know you're doing you're doing so good and your your relationship with, with Christ is just you know, blossoming and, and it's going so well. And all of a sudden, there's this thing. Oh, it looks so good. Why well, just go over there for a little while, you know? And I I, I think the, the verse in Hebrews tells us this, that, you know, Jesus has been there. He's been through everything we've been through. He's faced those same temptations that we have faced. He's faced those same trials we have faced. He's gone through the difficulty and the pain and the, and the loss that we have gone through. And he can understand and relate. So when we pray to him, we're not praying. We're not. And again, think about this in the context of just friend to friend talking with somebody about what's happening in your life. And you're not talking to someone who has no idea what you're talking about. You're talking to someone who fully understands everything that you're saying, everything you've been through. They, they can really empathize. They really do understand. And he has the ability then to really bring uh, healing and, and to bring some context to some of those things because he's been there. Um, nothing is new to Jesus. Nothing is surprising to Jesus. There's nothing that we can go through. And again, I said this last or I guess a couple weeks ago now. You know, and and again, it just reminded, there's nothing that he is afraid of. There's nothing that he's overwhelmed by. There's nothing that, you know, sometimes life, you go, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Jesus is not saying that. And when we're saying that, I think we turn to him and we understand, uh, I, I have a place to go. I have someone I can look to in the midst of whatever situation I'm facing today. So, this week, uh, Holy Week, begins with uh, what's called the Triumphal Entry. And the Triumphal Entry to me is a little bit like Good Friday. It's a weird title. Uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, of course, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, you know, and they're, they're cheering and they're shouting and they're waving the palm branches. But the triumph was short-lived. It didn't last very long. I guess Triumphal Entry is accurate, but after that, things went downhill from there, uh, Hello, boys and girls. My gosh. It's just cuteness. Cuteness everywhere. Uh, so Jesus comes in, you know, and they're, they're, sh- they're waving the palm branches, and they're throwing the cloaks down on the road. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and, you know, blessed be the king, and, and all these things. Uh, it just, whenever I, and especially in the, the movie depictions, but even when I read this text, I'm, I'm always thinking, Jesus is the only one. That knows what's really happening right now. He's the only one that really knows what's happening right now. Everybody else. Everybody else there thinks he's coming to establish his kingdom. Everybody else thinks he's coming to take over and displace the corrupt Roman government that they've been oppressed by. And only Jesus knows he's coming to die. Everybody else thinks this is a victory parade. And Jesus knows it's a death march. And that's the thing that always comes to my mind. Over the next few days, and again, you talk about a roller coaster. Jesus is going to uh, storm into the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and drive them out into the street. He's going to watch as this plot that's kind of been brewing behind the scenes, this plot to really actually have him murdered, begins to come to fruition. It begins to take shape and form as the right people talk to the right people, and they begin to put uh, the events in motion that will bring an end to his life. He will sit down and share a meal uh, with his closest friends. To me, I I love uh, when we do even potlucks here, but especially home group, other times. and, and, And I'll tell you, even when you just this last week had an opportunity to sit down and share Uh, a meal with friends, there's nothing really, I think, as intimate as that. It's just an awesome time. When you, I I just think breaking bread together, you sit down and there's a closeness and there's something that happens and there's an opportunity to really uh, express your heart and share with one another. And Jesus is doing that. He's sharing that meal with his best friends, knowing full well that before dessert, one of them is going to betray him. And shortly after that, the rest of them are going to abandon him and deny him publicly. After that, he asks a few of those friends to come and pray with him. It's his darkest hour. His darkest hour, and he goes to his closest friends. And he says, come and pray with me. And what happens? They fall asleep. And then finally, in what is really a mockery of a trial, it's not a trial. It's not justice at all. It's a mockery. The same people that were waving the palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king, are waving their fists and they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. The very same people that days before welcomed him into Jerusalem, are saying, crucify him, crucify him. So that's a busy week. That's a busy week. I want to take a couple minutes this morning, and I want to look at a passage that um, takes place just prior to the triumphal entry. It's actually uh, the story, it's, it's a weird little section of scripture. It's the story of how Jesus gets the donkey that he rides into Jerusalem on. Um, it's in all four of the Gospels. Uh, Most of you have been around for a while. My default Gospel is Luke. That's that's my favorite Gospel. I I tend to default to Luke, so I'll go there. But uh, it's interesting because, as you know, if you've read the Gospels, different accounts of different things are in different ones. This little story is in all four of them, which I find interesting, that each of the Gospel writers thought it important enough to include. So in Luke 19, uh, it says this, After Jesus had said this, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the uh, hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Um, So Jesus and his entourage are making their way toward Jerusalem. And this has been happening over a period of weeks. They've been stopping in different places. And if you kind of look at the narrative overall, you see that they're ultimately moving towards this time and towards Jerusalem uh, together. Uh, and so, in that process, he sends the two of them ahead to uh, to get this donkey. And uh, he knows, because he's Jesus, by revelation, that this donkey will be there. He's fully aware of, of that. Uh, and, and uh, he, you know, you, you begin to wonder, uh, what's going on right here? Now, I don't know how it works. I, the, I don't know how the the prophecy part works. If he's aware of prophecy and so he's, he's fulfilling that prophecy or if the prophecies were giving, knowing what's going, I don't know how that relates. 500 years before that, of course, Zechariah prophesied, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus would have been aware of that. And I think the thing that I was reminded of this week, is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. He knows what's taking place behind the scenes. We live in this world of spiritual warfare where we can kind of see what's on the surface, but we don't know what's happening in the, in the spiritual realm. And sometimes there's, you know what I'm talking about, stuff going on that you're unaware of. And, and it just it gives me comfort to know that even when I don't know, Jesus knows. He's conscious and he's aware and he knows what's going on. Jesus is fully aware and he has a plan. And he laid out the plan here. Go get the donkey. If they tell you, don't take the donkey, you know, do this and that. So he knows. Jesus knows. He he sends them ahead, and he knows what will happen when they get there. He tells them, you know, if they ask you why you're untying it, just tell them the Lord needs it. Which, again, uh, you know, I mean, it makes sense to me that they're going to ask, right? You can't just go around stealing donkeys. That is not nice. It's illegal. It's not very Christian. And so you, you're not supposed to take donkeys that don't belong to you. Uh, so he, you know, it's, they're going to ask, and, and they do. Why are you taking this donkey? And um, this this little phrase, the Lord needs it, uh, just seems to be sufficient. It seems to be enough. The owner of the donkey, oh, okay, go right ahead. Have my donkey. I don't, you know. It's, uh. So, again, now here, here's the thing. This is a weird little story, right? It kind of is. Uh, why is it there? What does, you know, the, the, it's there for a reason. The scripture is there to teach us about God, God's heart, what he's doing. What, what's happening here? Why do we have in all four of the Gospels this little story about uh, Jesus sending his disciples' head to get a donkey? So here's I, two, 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 two ideas. Um, first thing is I, I just think God will use whoever or whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, (sighs) I love this part. He does not have the same criteria for involvement that we do. Okay? So sometimes, and we, we think this about other people occasionally, but I think, by and large, much more often we think it about ourselves. God can't really use me. God wouldn't use me. Because I'm whatever. I'm not mature enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm, I've heard this, not in these exact words, but I'm damaged goods. My life, I, I've, I've either sinned too much or been sinned against too much, and I'm broken and God would never use me. And I, I think I need to point out here that God just used a donkey. And it was it made me cry this morning. When did, did you just make that? Just donkey? God use donkey. Start singing about literally all through worship. I'm just kind of worshiping, and she starts singing about donkey, and I start crying because it's so true. God uses whatever He wants. Uh, you know, I've been at this for a little while now, and I will say there have been one or two, maybe more, occasions in which God has used someone that I did not think was the right person to be used in that specific situation. Uh, I'll tell you one little story. I, I used to lead a group of young adults on on, on a, you know, Friday night. We had a, it, it grew into a service, but at this time it was just a, a big home group, probably 30 or 40 people, and um, it, it was sort of, uh, I, I, we didn't call them hipsters then, but it was kind of the hipster home group. It was all these musicians and these cool dudes and there was this one guy there and he went by the name Doc I don't even know what his real name was but he wore like this bowler hat you know and these round glasses and he wore a black leather always black leather vest all the time sort of a weird guy he was just really weird all right I'm just telling you this is my opinion all right it's a strange dude so one night we were worshiping, and and, and worship was just really sweet. It was you know God's presence was there, and I'm praying during worship. I go, Lord, just I pray, you just speak to us tonight. Just give us a word. Just let let your let your spirit just speak to your people and touch them tonight. You know, and uh, so that's I'm praying that worship's really good. And then worship ends, and you know, there's that little break. There's like that two seconds of silence at the end, and then yeah, Doc starts speaking out. I'm, I'm like. But then I just started laughing because I'm like, well, I prayed. I asked God to speak, and God spoke, and he used whoever he wanted. And it's not who I would have used, but it was a wonderful word. It was a precious word that did everything I had prayed God would do, just not the way I thought he would do it. So God doesn't have the same criteria that we do. Uh, I'll be the first to acknowledge, you know, I'm thankful for that. Um, God will use you. Uh, Whatever is in your mind, your heart today, that tells you why God can't, God will. None of those things are real. You're not too old, too young, too broken. Uh, you're not too immature. You're not too anything for God to say, you know what? I, I have a plan. I have a purpose. I have something I want to do in the world today, and I want you to be a part of it, and I will use you in that. And I really do think that's a big reason why these stories are there. Uh, God did use a donkey. He will use the least of these, and he will use you and I. So then the last thing, and I'm going to end with this, and I know it's short today. we Planned a little short. I'm going to have the team come back up and do another song, and then we'll minister. But um, the owners of the donkey did not immediately let the donkey go. They, you know, the guy did question, "Why, why are you taking my donkey?" Uh, uh, and when the disciples said, "The Lord needs it," that was enough. That was enough. They didn't have to say anything else. And, and so I would say this not only. God, will God use you, but God needs you. God needs you. He needs his church. He needs his people. Every single person has a unique giftedness, a unique uh, uh, something to offer that no one else can offer. The Lord, I, lo- I actually memorized this verse when I was really young in the New American Standard. It says the Lord has need of it. And I, just, I love that, the way that it just is worded there. The Lord has need of it. And I think the Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of his people. And, and 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 regardless, regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've been through, I would say not only will God use you, but God needs you. And when we were in Anaheim last week, I, uh, I just felt like God gave us a message for the church, and, and that was part of it. I didn't use those exact words, but basically, God needs you. He needs you to get in the game. And I think for whatever reason, some of us, have been taken out of the game, and you know what I mean. And I think if it's you, you probably know that that's true. And look, life's hard, and there's a lot of things that can take you out. But I believe God wants you back in. And I'm just saying that as pastorally and, and really no condemnation, no guilt, no shame, just as, as graciously as I can say, God wants you back in. God wants you back in. He doesn't want you out. He wants you in. He wants you not only in his presence and in his purpose. He wants you in the game. He wants you actively serving and giving and loving and doing what he does and being used for his kingdom. And there's a million ways. There's a million ways you can do that. Maybe not you go, I can't do what, what this person does. I can't do what that person does. That's okay. You can do something. God has something for you to do. And I think he wants all of us and needs all of us and wants all of us. Uh, to to be actively involved in pursuing his kingdom and doing his work in the world today. So that's that Palm Sunday. Why don't you guys stand up real quick, if I can get the team to come up. Um, I just think, as we're going to close with a song of worship, but I think God uh, wants to bring some healing today more in that area than physical, the area of inadequacy, the area of... um, brokenness, the area of uh, feeling as though I'm not valuable, I'm not useful, I'm not beneficial, I'm not whatever, whatever, whatever. God wants to press through some of that. So even as we worship, I'm going to invite the ministry team to come up and and be in the front. And then if you have any sort of thoughts or feelings around that, that you would like prayer, I just encourage you to come and have somebody pray with you today. Come and have somebody uh, lay hands on you and pray for you and ask God to take that away. So, Lord, would you just let your spirit come and minister to us now?